Welcome to Crossview Radio, weekly podcast for Wayne County. I'm John Marino, pastor of Crossview Church in Orville. We exist to glorify God by exalting Christ and magnifying the gospel for the joy of all nations. So I've uh, never done a book review before, but I just wanted to take a few minutes and uh, commend an excellent resource to you. Uh, I'm not going to review it in, in detail, but just wanted to point out a few things uh, that I thought would be uh, helpful. Uh, it's a book called Long Before Luther. It is uh, written by Dr. Uh, Nathan uh, Busnitz from the Master's Seminary. And uh, Dr. Busnitz has his doctorate in church history and really uh, brings, I think, that wisdom to the table uh, in this book that he uh, that he writes. It's an accessible book. Um, it's about 250 pages, but maybe a third of that uh, is footnotes and other notes, kind of at the end of the book. So uh, it's not uh, not not too uh, too big. Uh, it's pretty accessible for most people. Um, it's easy to understand. You know, there's a lot of it actually. In fact, a large part of it is actually just the quotations from the early church fathers themselves and uh, with some commentary, uh, but most of the quotes are are pretty self-explanatory. And really the goal of the book is to trace out uh, the Reformation themes in the first 1,500 years of church history. And no doubt you've heard before um, the Roman Catholic claim that really they own the first 1,500 years of church history, and that Protestantism was essentially invented by Martin Luther and other reformers, and that the strength of the Roman Catholic Church is that it goes back all the way to Christ and the apostles. And so if you could trace uh, your church back that far, then um, uh, the argument is that there's some some weight in the fact that it, it must be true or, or right. Their argument is that the early church fathers speak with essentially a consistent voice uh, defending Roman Catholic theology. And on the surface, um, at first, it may sound like a compelling argument. After all, if the 16th century was the first time we began to hear the five solas of the Reformation, then we might have reason to be suspect. Um, And unfortunately, I think this line of argumentation uh, uses perhaps too many canned talking points and not enough serious digging. And even more unfortunate is the reality that uh, some Protestants have been converted to Catholicism uh, because of it. So the question really is, can you find Reformation themes like faith alone, forensic justification, and imputed righteousness in the first 1,500 years of church history, or does the Roman Catholic claim stand unrefuted? Well, I want to answer that question really in two stages, and forgive me here, I'm giving a little bit of my own commentary interspersed with uh, some some comments on the book itself, but um, I do want to mention this to begin with here. The, the first response to that question is that it, uh, it doesn't really matter. It, it does not ultimately matter what uh, the early church fathers are saying, because ultimately, as Christians, if we take the Bible as authoritative, it doesn't matter who said what and when they said it. All that matters is what Scripture teaches. And so if Scripture uh, conflicts with statements by early church fathers, then we go with Scripture every time. 
And in fact, uh, it does conflict with many early church fathers in many areas, and Scripture conflicts with many people who have called themselves Christians throughout uh, the last 2,000 years of church history. Uh, All that matters is what Scripture teaches. And so from that perspective, the Bible unmistakably teaches the Reformation truths of grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone, Scripture alone, glory of God alone. Uh, So ultimately, if church history contradicts Scripture, we go with Scripture. But the second response to that question is really that it would be faith-affirming if we could find evidence that someone somewhere in church history believed in these truths. And this is where I believe that the Roman Catholic Church has overstated uh, her case on who owns church history. And so I want to point out just a few things that are helpful in this book uh, to help you in your study. Um, Wiesnitz begins by reminding us in chapter 1 of the anathema that the Roman Catholic Church at the Council of Trent has placed on anyone who teaches justification by faith alone. We know that uh, he reminds us of that. He then quotes Roman Catholic apologist Dave Armstrong, who says this, quote, radically new doctrines such as sola fide, were, or, or faith alone is, is what that means, uh, were sheer novelties rather than reforms, supposedly hearkening back to the alleged state of affairs in the early church, but they simply cannot be found in the early church, end quote. So he says um, they cannot be found in the early church. So the question is, is that the case? Is Armstrong Armstrong correct in his assertion? And I want to just respond, uh, really just just by giving you the quotes that that Busnitz points out, um, with some of these Reformation themes. Uh, the first one that he tackles is justification by faith alone, or sola fide. Uh, he quotes Clement of Rome as saying this, quote, And so we, having been called through his will in Christ Jesus, are not justified through ourselves, or through our own wisdom, or understanding, or piety, or works, which we have wrought in holiness of heart, but through faith whereby the Almighty God justified all men that have been from the beginning, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. End quote. Now, Origen writes this, quote, He is saying that the justification of faith alone suffices, there's that faith alone terminology, so that the one who only believes is justified even if he has not accomplished a single work. End quote. Uh, Ambrose writes this. He says, um, it is not because of your efforts, but because of the grace of Christ. By grace you are saved, says the apostle. Therefore, it is not a matter of arrogance, but faith. Uh, Later, Ambrose says, uh, quote, we are not justified by works, but by faith, because the weakness of flesh is a hindrance to works, but the brightness of faith puts the error that is in man's deeds in the shallow and merits for him the forgiveness of his sins, end quote. Pretty clear statements there on justification by faith alone. There are dozens of those quotes. Uh, I'm just getting, I'm giving you a couple and in, in kind of going quickly through some of these works. Um, Busnitz also explores the Protestant teaching of forensic justification. This is obviously different than the Roman Catholic idea of how one is justified. Forensic justification is really, uh, you can use the the term or or, or the idea of a legal declaration. Uh, Protestants believe, 
in forensic justification. Uh, we believe that a sinner is made righteous not by any merit of himself or herself, but by a declaration. So God says you're righteous, and that ends it. Uh, there's not this cooperation with grace kind of thing. It's not faith and works, but simply a declaration. Uh, God declares a sinner to be righteous. Uh, for the Roman Catholic, God does not declare you to be righteous in a one-and-done deal. Uh, but the question is, is there forensic justification in the early church uh, fathers? And so um, one of the uh, early church fathers quotes here is uh, this one, quote, As to the forgiveness of sins, it ought to be enough simply to believe. For who would ask the cause or reason when a gr- prince grants a pardon? There's that language of a pardon. When the liberality of an earthly sovereign is not a fit subject for discussion, shall people's impudence discuss God's generosity? For the pagans are likely to ridicule us, saying that we deceive ourselves, imagining that crimes committed in deed can be purged by words. Let me pause there in this quote. Um, what, what he's saying is the pagans are going to ridicule us Christians. How are they going to ridicule us Christians? By saying that we Christians deceive ourselves because we imagine that crimes committed in deed can be purged by words. Uh, this is a significant statement because what the Protestant is arguing is that uh, those crimes can be purged by words. In other words, by this faith alone, this belief in Christ, that's all that we need. And um, what he's saying is that the pagans are the ones who are going to ridicule someone for thinking in that kind of idea, that kind of forensic justification that's being argued for here. Uh, and the quote continues, and they say, can he who has committed murder be no murderer? And he who has committed adultery be accounted no adulterer? How then shall one guilty of crimes of this sort all of a sudden be made holy? But to this, as I said, we answer better by faith than by reason, for he is a king of all who has promised it. He is Lord of heaven and earth who assures us of it. Would you have me refuse to believe that he who made a man of dust of the earth can of a guilty person make me innocent and that he who was when I w- who when I was blind made me see or when I was deaf made me hear or lame walk can recover from me my lost innocence end quote um, pretty clear statement there Chrysostom says this uh, Paul does not say it is God who forgave our sins but what is much greater it is God who justifies for when the judge's sentence declares us just, and he is a judge, such as the one we have here, what can the accuser say? And so we should not be afraid of trials either, because God is for us and has shown he is for us by what he has done. Nor should we fear Jewish triflings about the law, for he has both elected and justified us, end quote. This is language of transaction. It's a legal declaration. Uh, again, uh, Busnitz notes that this is incompatible with the Roman Catholic view of justification. In the Roman Catholic view, you cannot simply be declared righteous on the basis of faith alone. And yet, again, this is just a few of many quotes in this area. Over and over again, these uh, church fathers are testifying to the Protestant view. Uh, I want to hit on one more area that Busnitz points out, uh, and that is his section on imputation. And again, uh, just to uh, clarify here, the Roman Catholic Church teaches that a person is justified on the basis of infused righteousness. 
Uh, That is a brand of righteousness where the believer cooperates with God's grace, and thus his or her righteousness is dependent upon the level of cooperation. So if you uh, were not uh, good enough, you may have to go to purgatory to work off those, uh, those sins kind of a thing. Protestants, however, believe in imputed righteousness, and that is to say God imputes or gives his righteousness to the believer, and they are instantly justified in God's sight. By the way, this imputation goes both ways. God imputes my sin to Jesus. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.21, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. Not, that's not to say that Jesus uh, w- sinned, but that hit, my sin was imputed or given him. God treated Jesus as if he had sinned. And in exchange, God uh, treated me as Jesus uh, deserves to be treated. So there's this exchange that takes place. In fact, we sing his robes for mine uh, frequently as a church. And so there's the that, that's the Protestant the imputed righteousness. Um, that righteousness produces a believer who is instantly justified in God's sight. There's no need for further for, for works at all, for any works at all to uh, justify that person. Um, and it's given on the basis of faith alone. So you're positionally righteous. So the question is, did the early church fathers teach imputed righteousness? Uh, one of the quotes that Business points out is Ambrose, who writes this, quote, Nevertheless, the law was of help to me. I began to confess what I used to deny. I began to know my sin and not cover over my injustice. I began to proclaim my injustice to the Lord against myself, and you forgave the impurities of my heart. But this too is of help to me that we are not justified by the works of the law. So let me pause in this for just a second. What he's saying is the law was helpful to him. It's just that it helped him to know what his sins were, not that it helped to justify him, but it helped him to know what his sins were so that he could uh, confess, repent, and believe. Uh, he continues, Thus, I do not have the wherewithal to enable me to glory in my own works. I do not have the wherewithal to boast of myself, and so I will glory in Christ. I will not glory because I have been redeemed. I will not glory because I am free from sins, but because sins have been forgiven me. I will not glory because I am profitable or because anyone is profitable to me, but because Christ is an advocate in my behalf with the Father, because the blood of Christ has been poured out in my behalf. My guilt became for me the price of redemption through which Christ came to me. On account of me, Christ tasted death, end quote. Uh, Jesus tasted death on my account, imputed righteousness and imputed unrighteousness. Uh, My unrighteousness imputed to Christ. Tertullian writes, God can impute righteousness to those who believe in him and make the just live through him and declare the Gentiles to be his children through faith. He actually uses the word impute. God imputes righteousness to those who believe him. He makes the just live. He declares Gentiles to be children. Declaration. And of course, again, this goes on and on. Um, And I don't have time to read them all, but I do recommend you pick up a copy of this book. It's a great one to have on the shelf, if for no other reason, uh, just as a reference work to be able to go to. The last thing I want to mention is I did get a chance to talk to the author himself uh, when I attended Shepherd's Conference a couple of weeks ago. I told him I was reading the book, 
And I had a question for him really about the consistency of the early church fathers uh, on these Reformation themes. And he pointed out to me uh, that the earlier church fathers uh, obviously are much more consistent on Reformation themes, and that the later you go in church history, the more and more uh, they begin to sound Catholic. Uh, But he made another point that was interesting. He said that the fact that there is inconsistency within the early church fathers testifies to the reality that we need a more reliable authority, one that we can depend on. So here's where this book is an encouragement to us. It helps us to see that it was the Catholics who veered away from the early church and what the early church fathers taught, but it also helps us to see something else. The early church fathers do not provide us with a universal authoritative voice on church matters. There are inconsistencies in the early church, and there are this uh, there are these mixtures of themes that are going on in their writings. One can can point out the number of quotes that uh, are very Catholic in their outlook, and that's true as well. So what do we do with that? What do we do with the fact that you have got a group of uh, church fathers in the first 1,500 years of church history who are not giving us a universal authoritative voice on church matters? Well, for that, we need something that is consistent, and that's the Word of God. You've already got the most reliable source of authority from God in your hands. It's the Bible, and that never changes. It's never inconsistent. And you can always count on it to be true. For that, we need to be grateful. Thanks for listening to Crossview Radio. I'm John Marino, pastor of Crossview Church in Orville. We meet Sundays at 10 a.m. at the Orville YMCA. To find out more about Crossview Church, visit us online at